Coming up, Ararat's number of unwanted dogs soar during the pandemic. The Catholic parish hires a jobless chef and acquires a takeaway licence. Jasmine speaks of a premature return from Taiwan. New owners settle in at Green Eggs and the Wallora Church rises to the heavens. You're listening to Ararat's Latest with local journalist Jack Ward. Hello and welcome. It's great to be with you. Interesting news about Target this week. The company confirmed with me late last week that Ararat's Target Country will become a Kmart hub in early to mid next year. It's going to be a Kmart but on a smaller scale, much like what we saw with Target Country. 52 Target Country stores, including Ararat's, will be converted and West Farmers announced it will shut 75 Target stores across the country. Luckily, jobs will remain here. All staff employed at our Target Country will be offered the opportunity to join the Kmart team. I posted an Instagram poll this week about the news and 92% of respondents said they were looking forward to the changeover. But if you're not a target target lover, there is some good news as well. Through the expanded click and collect offering, the full range of Kmart, Target and Catch products will still be available at all stores across the Kmart group and that will include the Kmart hub stores. Now, let's begin today's show by speaking with Ararat Dog Rescue's president and coordinator, Jill Worrell. There's been talk of an increase in pet sales and adoptions around Australia during the pandemic. Jill, what have you been seeing here? Are adoption rates increasing? Um, we, I've noticed a lot of people wanting to adopt a dog. I'd, we don't actually sell our dogs. We adopt them now. Mm-hmm. So there's a big difference. We, we're not like a, a pet store. Um, but I have noticed that a lot of people are looking for small fluffy dogs that probably wouldn't normally do it, which is always a bit of a worry because you worry what happens, you know, and everyone goes back to being semi-normal. But, yeah, there has been there has been an increase and we've had an increase in surrenders too. I think a lot of it's got to do with the fear, mm-hmm. the fear that they've lost their jobs or, you know, mitigating circumstances, but no fear that they can't provide for the dog. So when you when you're saying you're you, there's an increase in both surrenders and adoptions or wanting to adopt I should say what are those numbers looking like In the early stages of the pandemic the looking to surrender I would say I was probably approached or 18 or 19 times in the first 3 weeks which is unheard of and no one gets their dogs their sex so therefore they end up with unwanted puppies which they either can't afford or don't want to spend the money getting vaccinated and be sexed and microchipped and all the rest of it. So the easiest way out is to palm the problem off to someone else, which is fine, but it's it's annoying. It, bra- it, has, it does break your heart at times. It really does because you look at the dog and you think, how could you surrender it? Really, some of the dogs we get through, you, you, you just wonder how people could give them up because they're just so such beautiful animals. So with the increase in interest in adoptions, I guess, does that make your job harder to, you know, making sure that they are going to a right, the right home? Well, see, our problem is because we're a very, very small rescue, there's only basically two of us that can actually take any dogs in at the moment. So I've had to say no to quite a few dogs that have been offered for surrender, which I try and put them onto another rescue if I can, but a lot of the rescues themselves are full up. I mean, you can only take in so many, and we're all volunteers, so, you know, and we've all got our own dogs to worry about. It makes life life difficult when you have to say no, because you want to help as many dogs as you can. Unfortunately, most of the dogs that we get surrendered to us, or are after surrendered, be surrendered, 
uh, working breeds or staffy crosses or the bigger breeds like the bull Arabs, the Great Danes, the Greyhound crosses, that sort of thing. And they take a lot of work and nine times out of ten, none of them have had vet work done, which means we then have to go through the whole vet experience and, and it all comes out of our bank account. It's a catch-22. We want to take in every dog we can, but we've also got to be practical in the fact that we have to be able to afford to take them in. And with this coronavirus thing happening, uh, we can't do the markets that we've been doing because they're our biggest fundraiser. So we're sort of living on um, capital at the moment. <laughs> Not all doom and gloom, though, believe me. We've, at the moment, for the first time in I can't remember how long, we do not have one dog in care, which is unheard of. Our last dog is on his last week of his two-week trial. So as of this Friday, he will no longer be one of our dogs. He will have been formally adopted. And after that, we haven't got one soft dog in care at the moment. So does that mean you've got you've got room for for more dogs? We now? have got room. We have got room. Yes, Brilliant. at the moment. And for some reason, I'm not getting any phone calls. And if someone does want to offer their assistance and become a, a foster carer, what's the best way they can go about that? Best way is to contact us either by phone or by Facebook. Um, let let me know whether they're interested or not. And if they are, what we do is we come out and we do a yard check to make sure that the yard is secure and safe for any dogs that they might have. We ask them to fill out foster carers' virtually criteria on what sort of dog they would prefer, like small, medium, large uh, age group. If it all seems fine and everyone's happy with the whole situation, then when we get a dog in that is suitable, we give them a ring and we say, look, we've got this dog in, uh, it is whatever it is. Are you interested in taking it in as a foster? And it'll either be a yes or a no. And a foster can be for as little as a week to anything up to two years. Something that you've, you've got to love doing. Whilst on the topic of dogs, our at Rural City Council is asking residents to step up and be better dog owners after 16 dog attacks, including one on a person, were reported since restrictions began in March. The 16 dog attacks have included one instance of injury to a person who required medical treatment. CEO of the council, Dr Tim Harrison, said, as a dog owner, you have the responsibility to ensure your pet is regularly socialised and trained properly so that these situations don't happen. Ararat's Catholic Parish has made the unusual step to hire a chef and acquire a takeaway licence to continue its connection with parishioners and the wider community during the pandemic. Joyce Cleary is the parish secretary and joins me now. Joyce, what have you established in the last couple of weeks? Look, we we here at the Catholic Church have a wonderful parish centre behind this magnificent bluestone church and it's not used enough. We do rent it out, but it has an industrial kitchen and instead of shutting down the centre, um, obviously we had to close the churches we decided why don't we use it for uh, the purpose that it was built and employ a chef who had lost his job one of the teachers at St Mary's Primary School had a friend who lost his job Um, his name is Mike Flower wonderful qualified chef from the UK originally from the UK and we thought let's get him into this kitchen if we could get a takeaway license if we could get that organized facilitate the cooking of meals for families in need and also to look after the teachers who are still in the school in situ. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are sick of cooking 
and we thought, why not? In the time of a pandemic, it really should be the churches that are looking after the people and not shutting down. When you did shut down, did you feel like you, you had to do something in the community? Definitely. And a lot of people, a lot of people are not going to church anymore. And those who are, are elderly. So we wanted to connect with them and made sure that we still had a lifeline instead of just calling them on the phone. A lot of them don't have email or they're not on a computer system. And we just wanted to connect with them. So we do a delivery every week. Um, we give people a little bit of jam or a little pie. And then we look after other families who might be in need of um, that little bit of help. We have people donating food. We have the chef cooking it. Uh, we have people donating their time. It's a win-win situation for everybody. So for us, it was about really deciding how we could keep the community going and open and this was the best thing. This was employing somebody, using the kitchen and connecting with our parishioners and the community. This just is not about the Catholic parishioners themselves. This is about everybody who is out there in the Ararat community who needs a hand. And it's not specifically just for ourselves. And when you first ap- approached the chef who has, has lost his job because of the COVID situation, what was his response? Was he on board straight away? He was. Now, of course, he's he's a young guy. He His expertise is really in vegan and vegetarian food. And he's been in the country, I think, about a year and a half. He's fully legal. He ticks all the boxes. And he is not of a religious background. So I suppose he was a little bit... Um, kind of taken aback and thought, oh, gee whiz, what, what do I have to do? You know, don't ask me to, to read the Bible and, and to read up on, on religion. But of course, it wasn't like that at all. This is really about the, the community and helping each other out. So he was really grateful for the opportunity. And he now is in a position where he motivates himself. He's got the kitchen to himself. He's coming up with great ideas. Um, we've got little hampers going. We're making beautiful jams and relishes and they're for sale so he's in his element which is great what days is he cooking he cooks on a wednesday and a thursday so we have our takeaway license i'd also like to thank the ARAC council um for pushing that through we did tick the boxes we we've worked very hard to get this license um we haven't been charged obviously that's a victorian and federal government initiative and Mike also prepares food on a Friday. So people can order, they can ring up the office here, they can go online, or they can pick up a menu um, at the church, in the church foyer, and they can either email or phone us with an order, or they can um, do it the day before. We we have beautiful scones, um, a Yorkshire, Devonshire tea that we do. That needs to be ordered the day before. Um, so any information they can obviously get a hold of. And it's open during the day on Wednesday and Thursday, not the full day. We're open from 11 till about 2. The parish has the takeaway licence until the end of December. They're hoping to continue the service beyond the pandemic if there's enough community support. Michael Flower is the chef that Joyce just mentioned. I sat down with him this week to discuss his new job. So basically I was employed at the Live Fast Cafe in Halls Gar, 
but due to the COVID-19, I was um, previously unemployed. My friend got me in touch with Joyce, and then Joyce was kind enough to offer me a job here. Uh, cooking meals, chutneys, jams, scones, tea, things like that for the local uh, community, which has been really good. It's just a very rewarding job. And when you first, I guess, lost that job, like so many people at the moment, it must have been a scary time for you. It was, yes, very scary, because obviously I'm not entitled to any government funding, so literally I have nothing, only this. And you said it's really rewarding. What's the feedback been like? The feedback's been really, really good. Like Everybody's loving it around here, because um, what I do is kind of different to what you can get in the supermarket, because it's got that chef's touch. Um, I put a lot of effort, a lot of passion into the meals, but the feedback's been brilliant. People keep coming back every week, the word's getting around, extra people are coming. Every week it's getting more and more, the demand, which is really, really good. Orders and inquiries can be made by emailing rat at ballarat.catholic.org.au or calling 5352-5460. have a story? Are you or someone you know holding a community event? I want to know what you know about local issues and upcoming events. Contact Arats Latest via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or email Latest at gmail.com. Your story may instigate a community discussion, help a local organisation and importantly keep locals informed. Coming up, the new owner of Green Eggs speaks with me. A church in Willora is in the midst of renovations and we find out all about the biggest science experiment. But first, if you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, you might remember Jasmine Craddock. I spoke to the Lake Bolac College student in the early days of this podcast about her trip to Taiwan. I caught up with her again this week after her trip was cut short by nine months thanks to coronavirus. Jasmine, you're home much earlier than you were planning. We'll talk about your return home in a minute. But first of all, how was the trip to Taiwan? It was fantastic. Uh, it, it was so much better than I had expected. I absolutely love it and I hope to go back very soon. So my school was absolutely fantastic. Uh, they had a mini farm. There was an ostrich, bunny rabbits, chickens. There was pigs um, and rice fields. So I actually got to plant rice with them as a culture day. It was amazing. Whilst you were in Taiwan, a lot has changed in the world regarding coronavirus. Yeah. When you were over in Taiwan when this has kind of broken out and that's why you've returned home, when did you first hear about it? So I wasn't really aware of it when I left. It was more February, March that it really started and it was really on the news while I was in Taiwan and it was all around. And my host mum was very, she wasn't, overprotective about it. She was pretty cool, calm and collected and she was pretty happy with me as long as I wore my mask on the public transport. How was Taiwan responding to it? Was everyone wearing masks? Yes, so you were kind of weird if you didn't wear a mask. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody would wear their masks, especially on public transport um, and big crowds. And in school you weren't uh, expected to wear it, but you... It was your choice if you did or not. It got to a point where the situation was getting quite serious. Is that when the decision was made that you need to come home? Well, I was actually a lot safer in Taiwan than I was coming back. But um, due to the government's decision to, re- to ask everybody to return home, it, yeah, it was March 22nd I came home. Did that increase your nerves? Because I know you, you're in Taiwan, you're away from your family and such a, a crisis, I guess, is happening around the world. Were you quite on edge? Um, I wouldn't 
say I was on edge. I was really disappointed, but I knew it was for the best. And I knew if I didn't return then, I wouldn't have been able to return when I needed to. Coming back on um, March the 22nd, flying back into Australia, were there pretty strict measures when you arrived back in? Actually, it was a lot more strict at Hong Kong than it was at Melbourne. I was temperature tested about four times. My hands were sanitised everywhere I went, but in Melbourne I had no temperature tested. Um, There was nothing, really. You were planning on being away for 12 months. You ended up being there for three. Is there any plans for you to head back? Well, I have reapplied for the 2022 Youth Exchange. Because of my age, I am able to do that. So I am most likely going back to do another exchange, yes. Returning to another church story now, although this one is a little different to what the Arat Parish is getting up to with their takeaway, well, Laura's St. Patrick's Church is in the midst of a renovation and has recently risen to the heavens. Owner Di Cook and her husband, Matthew Harris, are restoring the church with the restumping process completed last week. I also hear that it has become quite the point of conversation in the town. Di, what are you up to out at Willora? Well, we actually lifted it about six feet off the ground which is really spectacular. Even today, a week later, as they've moved through the re-stumping process, I was amazed again today. Just the, the level of expertise that they used to lift it, and this was all to restore the stumps that were over 100 years old. When did you uh, buy the church? Uh, we bought the church about five years ago because it was heaven sent. <laughs> Because I was driving out there to have a look. I looked at it first and I thought, no, it was too much work. So I walked away. And then I got a call to say, you need to have another look at it. So I was driving out with my father. My father said, you couldn't pay me to buy a church. And when we got out there, both he and I fell in love with it because the sun was coming through the windows. And it's got this heavenly sort of glow about it, the way they built the windows back then. And um, I ended up buying it on the spot. So I think it was kind of out of my control. How important is the work at the moment that's being done? How important is that to preserve the church? Very important because um, it's very difficult to get tradesmen to come out to Willora, out into the rural areas that have an idea about the structure and everything and that are available because the ones that are good are pretty busy. So you have to wait sometimes a year to get to get one to come out. The the history of the church is important because it was a place a place of community and gatherings that goes right back to nineteen ten. So a lot of people have been married in the church. It has a lot of association with the community. So when they started to lift the building it created quite a stir in the town of Warlora. You did say it's taken you four years to find a team to re-stump it. Why has it taken that long? Has it just been trying to find the right people? Trying to find the right people and also the right technique because there is the old-fashioned way where you get down and dig down deep into the earth to re-stump and you have to pull up all of the floorboards inside. And the thing with the floorboards is they're, they're magnificent. When they're done, they'll be magnificent. And... It's a bit of a risk to to tear up the flooring because then you can't replace it with exactly the same flooring because they're wider than they are these days and you would have to source recycled timber that matched. The other thing is that it was sitting 
it was sitting very low on the ground. So if somebody's to get under there and dig, it's going to take them months to do the job. With any renovation, it's, it's quite a big task. It can be quite challenging. And seeing, of it, seeing it's got so much heritage that you want to keep in it as well, did you ever consider giving up? Yes. I actually um, had to write a few letters um, because of planning and heritage overlays. I had to write a letter and say that we're almost ready to just walk away and let the birds fly through. Because it's not a conventional building, it has a lot of other challenges. The re-stumping stage will actually unlock the rejuvenation of this building. Now that we can paint it, now that we can do new electrics and put a mezzanine in it and have facilities in it for it to, to be like a residence is huge. You were mentioning the terrific work of A&B Pope Relevelling, who have undertaken the restumping before this interview. It sounds like you're very pleased with their work. Oh, the team that have been restumping it have been amazing. They've been they they've driven from Horsham every day with a big smile on their face. One day they got diverted by a voker. It took them three hours to get to us, and they've just been seamless. They have a team of seven guys who all have a task, and they just go like crazy even today we were we were saying gee they don't mess around do they we've really lucked out with this with these people and they're genuinely proud of it it's the biggest building they've lifted and today um aaron said to me that at least we know how far we can take it and i'm just proud of everyone because they didn't give up because of corona they pushed through and it's making a big difference to our lives and also to the, the town. Great Western's Green Eggs had a change of ownership early this year after Alan and Shelley Green put their 21-year-old business on the market. The Warner family of southwest Victoria acquired the property and its 35,000 chickens in January. Kate Warner manages the egg production component of the family business and is on the line now. Kate, why has your family made the decision to purchase this local business? Um, so we were looking, we were actually looking to expand, but the opportunity arose um, for a family business, my two brothers and my parents and I, so it was a great opportunity to expand. We're really passionate about providing free range eggs to Victoria and this is an opportunity to go on a larger scale and give Victoria an opportunity to purchase more free range eggs. Yeah, and you own another business as well. Can you talk me through that? Yes, we also own Caravan Eggs, which are pasture-raised free range eggs. Um, it's a smaller scale than green eggs. Um, so it's been a really good stepping stone into green eggs for us. So with the two <laughs> businesses, are you going to merge them or are they going to stay separate? They'll remain separate. Um, we'll run them independently, but using the strengths of each, um, there's a larger grading floor at green eggs, so using that for caravan eggs, but the production side of things will remain separate. Alan and Shelley, of course, are the green eggs owners that you've purchased the business of. How was the handover process? It was really great. Alan and Shelley are definitely pioneers in the free-range egg industry in Victoria and Australia. So it's been good to work with Alan and Shelley in the handover period and just get their thoughts um, and their advice, I guess, on, on the free-range industry and green eggs in particular. In the future, where do you see green eggs going? Um, just growing on its strength that it's already got, um, providing those great free-range options to the Victorian public and for the moment just to keep the wheel standing as it is is the main goal.
the biggest science experiment is getting even bigger, expanding its reach to communities such as Ararat. Project Manager Dennis Crawford is here to explain. Dennis, what is the purpose of this project? Well, it's a, a community science project. So the, the main aim really is to um, turn people on to science and help to um, create a science-savvy community. And has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted this project at all? Oh, it certainly has. Um, a major component of the biggest science experiment was our involvement uh, with schools. Um, and so that was all, you know, face-to-face. Um, and, you know, COVID-19, of course, has uh, put a stop to that, um, certainly for the time being. Um, so basically, uh, we've moved um, everything online and uh, a major component of the project, in fact, how it was going to wind up was there was going to be a physical um, expo um, and that expo uh, will also have to be online. So the project was initially supposed to be just for the Northern Grampians region. You've expanded that now because of this new online platform. Is that exciting for the team? It certainly is. I mean, it um, it was kind of embedded in the Northern Grampians region in the first place because uh, we received a grant uh, from the Shire and part of that was to hold um, that expo um, at Stall Town Hall um, but of course now with the with the COVID-19, we're not doing that. And so, um, you know, because of the pandemic, we've shifted online and uh, Northern Grampianshire has agreed to us uh, widening our reach. And of course, you know, going online, there's kind of, there's kind of no boundaries, but we'll, we'll be happy if we just expand into our sort of wide, wider immediate area, such as um, Ararat, um, because that's our... That's the neighbouring shire to uh, Northern Grampian, so that would be terrific. Moving the project online, what does the project look like online? What are people getting involved with? Sure. Well, we have a we have a website, um, and that's where um, people can find a whole list of ideas of um, things to do. Because the idea is that individuals or, or families or uh, community groups. Uh, or school groups or individual students um, will do a little experiment. So on the website, you'll find um, lots and lots of ideas. Um, you'll also find a registration page, which you can um, fill out a very, very simple form uh, that just so you can tell us what the experiment is. Um, and uh, when we have uh, the online expo, um, anyone who gets involved can be part of that as well. You've spoken about the expo being the end point for this project. What is that going to look like online? Oh, well, you've uh, you've got the scoop, actually, because we haven't actually uh, put this on our website yet, but perhaps by the time your podcast uh, comes out, it will be on our uh, website. But so what we're trying to do, uh, you know, as I said, is to, you know, foster understanding of science within our community and there's actually a national project which does that every year, and that's the National Science Week. And so we are going to coordinate our online expo with National Science Week, uh, which runs from August the 15th to August the 23rd. Um, so on our website will be um, all of those um, projects that I was talking about earlier. Uh, we'll have guests speakers as well and there'll be a whole lots of other little fun things 
um, that people can uh, click on and read or do, and that'll run for that entire week from August the 15th to the 23rd. Just before I sign off today, there's an online event coming up this week. Resilient RRAT is holding an online mindfulness session with Megan Ward, also known as my mum. This Thursday at 7pm, it will include an introduction to mindfulness and an opportunity for questions. If you're interested, registration details can be found on the Resilient RRAT Facebook page. That brings me to the end of this fortnight's show. Thank you for joining me. This was RRAT's latest.